Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. So we have a little problem here at Ruins of Empire HQ. It seems producer Sean has run out of the high-grade producer chow that I have been feeding him. Now, sure, I could go out and get the cheap stuff, but I find the premium product gives him a little more energy and keeps his beard nice and shiny. So if you want to help this project and keep Sean's bowl filled, you can find copies of the entire Ruins of Empire series available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You can follow along with the podcast, and it helps pay bills around these parts. And trust me, you're not going to want to clean his cage if I have to go for the bargain brand. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Templum Venerous, book two of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author. Chapter 7 Though reviled at the time for being a surprise, underhanded assault, Adriana actually laid out a rough idea for the invasion in Trial by Fire. Countries like the United States project the illusion of military might, but the truth is their limited resources are spread so thin, fighting wars all over the globe on behalf of their corporate benefactors, that there is little to no defensive power within their borders. A foreign military could, if needed, land a special forces battalion on their shores, neutralize or destroy targets, and fall back before the generals or the politicians knew what happened. From the Fall the Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff. Near the peak of the Maxwell Mons, far above the sprawling city below, the railcar came to a stop. More attendants in hooded brown robes slid open the door, and a chill breeze shot through. The Arain Ha lifted herself from the throne and spoke in her native language. Celia, prepare for our arrival in the arena. We will arrive soon. The emissary bowed and left. Once she was gone, the Arain Ha invited the members of the Human Reconnection Project to follow her and led them to a worn path that wound its way further up the mountain. The slope here was steep, almost a 45-degree angle, and at the top and embedded into the rock, there was a dull gray heap that Vago vaguely recognized as a colony ship from the fall. A gust of wind picked up, and Vago had to grab his hat to keep it from flying away as he squinted through the dust and dirt that blew up from the valley. The Ardain Ha, her crimson dress whipping around her slender frame, waved them on as she started up the path. Even traveling in a switchback pattern, the path cut into the jagged rock near the peak was steep and tough going. In the thin air, Vago found himself winded after traveling only a few minutes. Isra followed close to the Arain Ha, as if trying to prove something to the Scytherian ruler, but she too showed signs of fatigue. Her stature started to break, her steps slowed, and her breath became labored. At the front, however, Arain Ha Isabel breezed up the path as if the wind itself were carrying her. With her elegant dress, soft skin, and gentle features, she very much looked the part of a monarch that expected to be carried on litters and fed grapes by groups of scantily clad eunuchs. But here, she was proving she had the endurance and stamina of a career soldier, something that didn't make sense in Vago's mind. Thankfully, Isabel stopped for a moment to let the group catch up. She looked up to the peak of the mountain and spoke in a low, distant tone, as if she was just thinking aloud. This is one of the ships that brought our people to this planet, and the last that survives. 
It contains all we know about the world of our ancestors. Everything our people brought to survive was carried on that little ship. Now that he was closer, he could see the worn metal surface of the ancient vessel. A thousand years perched at the top of a mountain had some impact. If there had been any paint on it once, it had long since been stripped away by the wind, dust, and sand. The surface was pitted and scarred and, in some places, worn away completely, exposing interior components. The top was cluttered with satellite dishes, antennas, and other metal bits that waved, twirled, and spun in the winds. Vega wasn't sure what most of the instruments were, but they looked like the product of a deranged mind, with access to a lot of scrap metal. As the group caught their breath, the Arenha continued, We took what we needed from our ancestral homeland and left the rest. Where we came from was of no interest to us. The planet our people fled did not want us. Venus was our home now. Earth was just another dot in the sky. You did not find us because we did not wish to be found. Isabel turned and started up the mountain path again. Isra looked at the weather-beaten colony ship for a moment and rushed to catch up. That does not explain why you contacted us now. Those who cannot fight must find other ways of being of service to Cytheria, explained the Arenha without glancing behind her. One among us desired her city to have a longer memory. She wanted its people to know the secrets forgotten by our forebearers. Vago nearly stumbled after the first bit of that explanation. Wait, fight? Fight who? Isabel stopped and turned in one elegant movement to address him. Her face was a mix of incredulity and disgust, as if she were somehow offended that he would even ask. Cytheria always has enemies. It makes us strong. Then, as gracefully as before, she turned and beckoned them further up the mountain. The wind picked up the closer they got to the peak. A few meters from the ancient ship there was nothing but the roar of wind and the feeling that, at any moment, one might be pushed off the top and sent rolling back the way they came. Arenha Isabel moved, as if the elements no more affected her than the mountain itself. She led the group to the ship and opened a hatch that, at some point, had been cut into the side of the hull. Inside, the Arenha led the way down the cramped tunnel, and Vago had to crouch slightly to keep from hitting his head on the ceiling. A string of lights lit the way through the narrow corridors, not simple incandescent lamps, as one might fashion with the technology present, but soft white light from more archaic and advanced sources. They were not built, but salvaged from some other part of the ship and rigged together. They exited the tunnel and walked into the handiwork of a madman. More lights hung from the ceiling on long strands of frayed wire, outlining piles of mechanical and electronic equipment that occupied nearly every square inch of the floor. This room looked like the control center of the lander once, but every instrument panel, monitor, and computer was pulled out of the walls, dismantled, and thrown on a pile. The only way to get from one side to the other was through a few paths cleared through the wreckage. It's been completely destroyed, said Vago, looking around. Kronos took a bundle of cable. No, no, look hard. Not destroyed. Dismantled. He held up the wires. Each one had a small slip of paper with written notes attached. Kronos picked through them, holding each individual strand between his fingers for a brief moment. A great vibrating nerve, carefully disassembled into its most basic components. Complexity reduced to simple parts. The heart of understanding. Vago had several snide comments lined up, but he was interrupted by a sudden crash and a volley of Cytherian. Merda! Ku! Vago's language training during hibernation had apparently not covered these words specifically, but given the tone and the volume, he was sure he could insert any number of expletives without being far off. 
The sound of heavy boots on metal accompanied the yelling, and a woman appeared from an adjacent room. "'What idiot brings such pain to my—' the woman yelled at the group. She stopped short when she saw Isabel standing with them and dropped to one knee. "'I ain't hi, Isabel. Many apologies.' Isabel seemed amused by the outburst. She raised her hand and spoke in English. "'Rise, child. I have brought the people from Earth. The people you contacted. Friends?' Meet Joanna. Joanna removed the heavy set of goggles she was wearing and spoke in broken English. Very good to meet you. Very happy to have you here. There must be something in the water, thought Vago. Joanna was not stunningly beautiful like the women that had waved at him from the walls. She was quite a bit shorter, and her face and hair were caked with grease and dirt. But there was a beauty there that made Vago think of the girls he knew growing up on the Martian colony. The woman wore the same brown clothes as the Arenha's servants, but the fabric was pinned tight, revealing a muscular, curvy frame. She scanned the group with deep blue-gray eyes that threatened to dismantle Vago's mind and toss it with the rest of the wreckage. Kronos obviously noticed it as well. Vago settled up next to the little man and nudged him with his elbow. "'Cool it, man,' he whispered. "'You're drooling.' Easter stepped forward, perhaps to keep the wide-eyed net baby from making things awkward. "'You built a radio transmitter.' Joanna shook her head. No, it was here inside the ship, but it did not work. I repaired it. The woman gestured to a wooden slab hanging just above a gutted control panel, perforated with wires, glass tubes, and assorted debris from the wreckage. The radio lost its spirit. I rebuild. Kronos made his way, with a certain reverence, through the piles of parts to the makeshift device. He craned his head from side to side, examining it from every angle. It's beautiful said Kronos. You rebuilt the motherboard for the signal processor. It's a hundred times bigger and probably produces lag in the system, but it could work. You did this. Joanna waved two fingers in the air in a gesture Vago interpreted as no big deal. Dexilado. Very sloppy. Kronos looked harder and pointed to a piece. These transistors probably burn out quite frequently, yes? Joanna tilted her head with incomprehension. Isra translated, Aquela peca, o transistor durete con frequencia, sim? Joanna nodded. Sim. Very often. Replace every two hours while I use. Very much time it takes to make. The last one I have. Kronos continued examining the components. We could experiment with different materials. Also, if we could find a converter, we could reduce the strain on the system. Joanna's eyes lit up. Can you stay? Help build something better. Kronos looked back at her with wide-eyed terror. For a moment, he was a small, helpless animal caught in the bright light of Joanna's soft blue-gray gaze. I, uh, well, he stammered. He'd love to, said Vago, walking to where he stood and slapping him on the back. With Her Majesty's permission, of course. I think there's much he could learn here. He gave Kronos a conspiratorial grin. If that is your wish, said the Arenha, Joanna has done many incredible things here. If this man possesses knowledge of this Ancient technology, the possibilities are endless. We should go. Arenha Isabel finished and made her way back to the tunnel entrance through which they arrived. There is something else we must see now. Vago, Easter, and Althea started to follow when Kronos called him back. Vago, a moment, please. Vago made his way back to Kronos, who stood nervously, wringing his hands. What's up? Kronos risked a glance at Joanna, who gave him a kind, friendly smile. I'm not sure what to do. Vigo grinned. Just do what you were intended to do. 
help the girl get that hunk working again, and the rest will just happen in due time. He started back to the tunnel and looked back at the two, examining the makeshift motherboard. Watching their awkward mating dance made him think of himself and Althea. He turned and disappeared down the tunnel. Istra and the Arenha walked down the path toward the inclined rail car, still perched on the side of the peak of the Maxwell Mons. Althea followed a few steps behind, and Vago rushed to catch up. As he did, he caught a few Cytherian words of Isra and Isabel's conversation. So Joanna is the only one working there, Isra asked. Sim, it is a life she took upon herself. For her, it was important that the Cytherian people know their history, the Arenha replied. It does not sound like you agree. Our people do not spend energy considering what has passed. Althea, said Vago, arriving beside her. A word? Althea shook her head and slowed her pace to give them room to talk. I don't understand why my neural programming didn't work. You can understand them. Vago shrugged. You ain't missing much. Listen, Althea, I'm sorry about things said on the station yesterday, or a few months, or whatever. Things said. Althea laughed a little. Possibly by me. To you. You don't even know what you're apologizing for. Everything? Anything? I don't think before I open my trap. I know that. Maybe we can just forget I said anything. Failing that, can you just slap my face or maybe a good swift kick in the... That won't be necessary. You didn't do anything wrong. Vago nearly stumbled over the concept. I didn't? You were trying to help, and I was acting like... Pretty, pretty princess bitch a lot? I'm sorry for that as well, Vago added. Not in those words, but yes. I may have pushed you into saying those things. I don't think either of us was exactly happy about what went down up there. Althea smiled slightly. I guess I can forgive you. They passed by the inclined rail, still perched on the cliff, overlooking the white-walled city. The sun, low on the horizon, cast tendrils of red and purple through the mountain peaks. Isra and the Reinha idly chatted. The only other sound was the wind, blowing up from the city below. So what happens now? Figo kicked a stone out of his path. What do you mean? Althea distracted, looking up at the swirling clouds. I mean between you and me. Us. Althea glanced back down the mountain, as if she were avoiding his eyes. I don't see any reason for there to be an us. What we had all those years ago wasn't a relationship. It wasn't even enough to be considered a fling. It was just two damaged humans behaving like wild apes. And last night, or whenever, it was nothing but me trying to repeat that, at your expense. Whereas Althea's eyes kept wandering, Vigo couldn't take his off her. Maybe I needed that. Althea, when you came over that night, I was in a bad way. I wasn't going to go back to the tea, but I'd be lying if I wasn't thinking about it. I just wanted to feel something. Anything. And when I saw you, I felt... everything. Althea sighed. There was a slight staccato in her breath, as if she were holding back tears. Up ahead, Easter spoke to Isabel with a measure of disbelief. Forgive me, Reinha, but I do not understand. If Cytherian citizens are not meant for physical labor, what do they do? Isabel glanced behind her as if checking to see if Althea and Vega were still following. I have brought you here so that you might see. What do you want me to do with that information, Vega? Said Althea, looking straight ahead, her face stony and emotionless. She usually had the same expression when she was examining a patient. I was just thinking, Vega started, that we give it a try. For the first time during their conversation, Althea looked at him. Though her eyes shone with a few tears, 
Her look made him feel about half as tall as he was. What are you saying? You want to use me because you can't have drugs anymore. Vago's mind flashed back to Captain Colton on the bridge of the shuttle, right before the re-entry made things weird. You can't use another human as a substitute for the tea, friend. Dropping it is all about freedom. And you can't be free if you force your dependency on another. It's not what I'm saying, Vago said defensively. I'm just... something happened to me that night. You have to be responsible for your own life, Vago. And I've got to do the same with mine. We are nearly there, said the Reinha, this time in English. We must hurry. Provacayo begins soon. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, the second book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Predator by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. Licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license. City of Geeks. Independent new media produced in Idaho.